With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Purple Row Pebble Report Podcast. We are here to present the finest minor league coverage of your Colorado Rockies, and we're here to have a blast doing it. Welcome back to the third rendition of this year's Pebble Report podcast. My name is Justin Wick. I am an editor for Purple Row. Joined, as always, by my co-host and Purple Row staff writer, Mr. Kenneth Weber. Kenneth, we're making a routine out of this. We're back for episode number three. We've got probably one of the crazier days in baseball behind us. Our recording date is Wednesday, June 23rd. We just had all the foreign substance details come into the mix. We just had a really interesting day that... Quite honestly, my mind was not on the minors yesterday when I kept seeing Max Scherzer and Sergio Romo strip down and show off all their foreign substance details. But we're here to talk minor league baseball. Nonetheless, how you doing? Thanks for joining us again. (laughs) I'm doing good, man. Yeah, uh, we were just talking about how interesting of a day yesterday was. and uh, Between, you know, the not safe for work stripping of Romo and Scherzer, (laughs) pissed off Joe Girardi. There was also Wander Franco. He made his debut, and that was cool. That's right. That was, that was super cool to watch. So One of the wildest days. We also saw an executive for the Rockies step down in the wake of, we saw a minor league pitcher by the name of Joe Harvey also vacated, DFA'd after the, another call-up of Chris Owings activated from the injured list. Just a wild time. Like we, I don't really know how to quantify all of this, but I mean we've got some key topics to cover today. Um, needless to say, our script has changed immensely. We had planned it out, we had our episode all ready to go, and then come to find out that absolutely earth-shattering news within the Rockies organization. But we're going to keep it positive. We're going to do our best to cover some key <laughs> details. And fortunately, for the sake of everybody tuning in, there is a lot of exciting details. There's a lot of like uplifting storylines. We're going to cover Sam Hilliard, a breakout outfielder, doing very well in AAA Albuquerque over the last week. We're going to go through, we're going to usher in the new era of Colorado Rockies catching. Drew Romo absolutely killing it down there. And then on top of that, we're going to cover some other pitchers that are doing some fantastic jobs. We're going to run down all of the affiliates as normal. Pick out our breakout player watch as normal. And we're going to send you guys off into the world as geniuses of minor league coverage of the Rockies. At least I hope so. I'm not going to lie. My mind was kind of focused on the foreign substance stuff yesterday instead of minor league coverage. But... A lot of extensive research this morning and very excited to really bring it together and bring you guys all of this exciting content. We're going to kick things off talking about Sam Hilliard, currently in AAA Albuquerque. He has batted a 421 average in a recent series with the Reno Aces. He hit one to Winnemucca, Nevada. I think it was on Monday. He just absolutely demolished one to right field. Out of the and stadium. He- just crazy business. You know, I'm kind of familiar with that ballpark at Reno, and I never thought anybody was going to touch those trees in right field. So very good for him. Just one of many. He's hit five home runs in his past five games. 
He's hit eight RBIs in his past five games. There's a lot of interesting things. There's a lot of interesting splits going on. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on at the big league level for the Rockies that may be more of an indicator for when we may see Sam Hilliard back in Colorado. You've mentioned that there's a little bit of interesting left and right-handed storylines for this. So, Kenneth, I'll open up to you. What have you noticed and kind of what can we expect depending on the handedness of the pitcher on the mound? Uh, well, I think that this is proving just how much of a platoon split he's going to have or to expect from Hilliard, I should say. So all of those home runs over this past week have come against right-handed pitching, which is not a huge surprise. I mean, generally speaking, if you're going to bat from one side of the batter's box, you hit the opposing hand better than uh, same-handed. However... He, for his minor league season, has a triple slash line against righties of 250, 320, 571. When you look at his triple slash against lefties, that just craters to a 132, 250, 211. So this is really evident. I mean, first of all, there's success that's starting to come from Sam Hilliard right now. And that's good because there was a long stretch after he got demoted from the Rockies after breaking camp with the team where he was really struggling in Albuquerque. He started coming around over this past week, but now we can see, okay, there's still this successful ball player in there, but you have to be honest with what you're seeing, and that successful hitter at the plate is really coming against right-handed pitching. It's not there against left-handed pitching. So hopefully that comes and develops, but when you're in, you know, when you're in that 40-man roster spot, when you're getting called up, and sent down and those options are starting to be used it's no longer about the try hard and get better it's about producing it's about being a contributor at the next level at the major league level consistently and sticking in the big leagues you know i I don't want to (laughs) ever give up and say the ship has sailed against him hitting left-handed pitching but if he's having a hard time doing that in triple a and we're watching those option years start to diminish quickly He's going to be kind of a platoon guy that can play all three outfield spots. So there is something there. Good speed. He's always had, you know, the 80th percentile speed or, you know, whatever that may be um, on Baseball Savant. But you can't hit him against lefties. You know, that's that's going to be kind of proving to be the point. So he's having success and it's doing well, but it's all coming against right-handed pitching. Yes, and you are spot on with that, especially seeing at least the fluidity of the kind of season that he has had to this point. He appeared in 20 games for the Rockies early in the season. We're talking back in April. Um, Batting average of 108 with the big league club, OPS of 478, which that's what the kids like to call not very good. Let's just call it what it is. Um, B-A-D-Bad. Jeez, it was just, I mean, that was tough. And especially looking around and seeing, you know, I remember... Some of the articles that we were putting together with Purple Row last year was talking about when Ian Desmond was also in the mix. We were trying to look at, you know, was left field very much going to be a platoon of Ian Desmond and Rymel Tapia and Sam Hilliard, all of them kind of in the mix. Got, of course, a staple with Charlie Blackman in the outfield as well, but there wasn't a whole lot of room for a guy like Sam Hilliard. And now all of a sudden we see that Rymel Tapia is going all Joe DiMaggio on us on quite the hitting streak right now, putting together a very solid month at this point. And then on top of that, you know, Jonathan Daza all of a sudden establishing himself in the two spot in the batting order. So there's not a whole lot of room for Sam Hilliard at the big league level, which is somewhat concerning. Sure, there's always room to carry a fourth outfielder. I suppose, you know, a guy with the kind of pop like Sam Hilliard does, that guy hits the ball pretty far. I guess you could make the argument, especially as maybe a pinch hitter type of situation. But 
bullpens are also going to try to play the left-on-left -left platoon action later in games if you put him in as a pinch hitter. So I think that there's a lot of interesting strategy that you can play with this guy just because he's, I hate to say handcuffed with necessarily left and right-handed hitting, but it seems like if you're going to put him in a bad, if you're going to put him in the big leagues, you very much have to put him in a starting lineup when there's a right-handed starter on the mound. Um, you'll take a look at what his strikeouts have. In AAA, he still has 50 punch-outs in 147 at-bats, so we're looking at a little bit over 30% strikeout percentage, which you're not really looking at very... I mean, clearly it's the most refined level of minor league pitching that you're going to run into, but when you make the jump to the big leagues, you're going to continue to see those level of punch-outs. Sure, we live in an era now where strikeouts aren't maybe as detrimental as they used to be if they are complemented with the amount of home runs that he has, but would you see this, and I guess I'll open this up for you on this, is this an instance where he does really well against AAA pitching and we would see potentially more struggles in the big leagues, or do you feel like his recent success would really actually carry some momentum and push him into potential big league success like we hoped for, I guess, back in 2019 when he was killing in Albuquerque? Where do we kind of go with this, and is it more of a momentum game, or are the strikeouts always going to kind of tie him down a little bit? I think you have to accept the swing and miss for what it is. I mean, you can't you can't lie to yourself and say that Sam Hilliard is going to be a, a batting title, you know, threat. Uh, he's he's going to have the swing and miss, but he's also going to have that big thump in his bat, and he's going to have elite speed when he does get onto the base pass. So um, you talk about the success in 2019, and that success also came at the major league level, not just the minors. I mean, there was a lot of discussion heading into this season of looking at similar size seasons between 2019 and 2020 sure. and saying, which guy are we going to get? Because he lit the world on fire in 2019 as soon as he got called up to the major leagues. I think he had a WRC plus of like 140, somewhere somewhere <laughs> in that range. I mean, he was, he was phenomenal for basically a month, month and a half in 2019. And then in 2020, he was rough. You know, he had a, he had a tough go of it. And so now, heading into 2021, which Sam Hilliard are we going to get? You know, whenever you're comparing two uh, very different ends of the spectrum, the answer is that it's probably somewhere in the middle. And I think he's not doing damage against a lot of rehab assignment guys. He's not doing ex-big leaguers who are on the cusp of getting back into the big leagues. These are all guys who are career minor leaguers that he's taking yard recently. But if you look at the momentum that he built in 2019 in the minors and how that translated to the majors, I think that that's the best takeaway is you need his confidence, you need momentum to start building because you've seen what he can do in the major leagues when he's right. And getting sure. him closer to that point, I think, is the more important part. You take who the competition is that he's, he's doing well against with a grain of salt, but at least he's doing well. And that's that's needed because otherwise he could have been the next Tim Wheeler. You know, hey, you remember when that guy was supposed to be a stud? Whatever happened there? Like, there you yeah, go. He washed out. So <laughs> Hilliard's, Hilliard's not there. And, you know, it's starting to go right. And that's the, the best thing um, that could happen regardless of what level of competition he's facing. Sure, and I think that it's very interesting, especially to follow on the heels of a 2020 season where everybody's workload was very much restricted and – Looking at a guy like Hilliard, kind of how was he able to adapt for, you know, if you rewind the clock just 12 months ago, we weren't playing baseball right now. So the routines that he was able to establish throughout at least his career minor league campaign, all of a sudden they have been heavily interrupted. And then before he knew it, last winter he was back into 
just off season type training and it really kind of it, I mean for a lot of guys I think that it very much tied them down certainly for pitchers the workload mitigation being able to control and hopefully limit their potential injuries happening this year but for a hitter being able to respond to pitching and the reactionary nature of what's going on I personally believe that you know when you're able to get him into a little bit more routine schedule Sure, we had spring training to ramp up for it, but now, you know, we're a couple months down the road, and I am kind of optimistic that just because he's back into a normal or quote-unquote normal type of season within the minors that there is a chance that he could break into the big leagues later on, call it July, August, September. Realistically, he's one big league injury away from something like that happening or one big league slump away from something like Mm -hmm. that happening. Um, I think that there's a lot of optimism to have out of this just because you're finally being able to train your eyes a little bit more. And, you know, there's a reason that there's pretty refined pitchers in AAA at the same time. You know, it's not to knock any of these organizations, but there's plenty of quality prospects that he has been playing against, particularly within Reno being able to work through this. I can't help but wonder, too, you know, the struggling Arizona Diamondbacks right now, the Reno Aces are the next one in line. Are they looking at it going... Because the big league club is struggling so much, where a lot of guys in Reno kind of looking at, hey, this is my opportunity to hopefully break into the big leagues. I thought that was something that was very fun to watch over this past series because what is the general attitude in AAA among a lot of these guys (laughs) when the Diamondbacks have lost, I don't know, 94 games in a row or something (laughs) like that? The world. They've lost the entire world. Boy, I feel for him. I seriously do. I know we're supposed to root against division rivals, but I'm just I'm glad they were able to win the other day just to get something going. But that was something I was very intrigued to be able to follow along with, and especially following that and realizing that, you know, let's say these guys in Reno understand that there is a desperate need to at least put somebody fresh into the big league mix to try to lead them forward. So I think that being able to see what Hilliard did against that kind of affiliate, it really made what he was able to put together. Again, he batted 421 in that series with Reno, and those are guys that certainly see the door open to be able to make it into the big leagues. So interesting to follow. It's really unfortunate for his sake that the two guys at the top of the lineup right now, Tapia and Daza, are playing as well as they are. Charlie Blackman isn't going anywhere, at least I wouldn't presume by any means, but... Very interesting yet, to follow. Anyways. Yes, no kidding. Do you think that, especially, I know this is kind of, I guess, a concerning subject when there's kind of turmoil going on with the Rockies front office. We don't necessarily have an acting long-term general manager by any means. Do you think that the success of Hilliard would potentially incentivize Charlie Blackman kind of being put on the trading block later on? Or do you think that Blackman would be perhaps open to it there's a lot of angles for this you know he's been a lifelong rocky he probably maybe he doesn't want to leave maybe he does maybe hilliard is going to motivate that to happening do you think anything would kind of come out of sam hilliard's performance that we could see something out of charlie blackman later on um i think that well first of all not only do we not we have an interim GM, but we've also lost two assistant GMs in the past. Yeah, yeah. this is this so is the brain trust. Here. The brain trust has gotten <laughs> significantly smaller, and so it's not even just on the decision making side where I think that's a factor. I think it's on the communication um, through all levels of the team internally, and also with other organizations where that becomes affected. So when you start talking about trades, or you know, just the possibility of somebody being chipped to another team somebody has to initiate that conversation with another team. And generally, I believe it won't rely all on one person to have all the contacts and all the conversations. Sure. But that's kind of the position the Rockies are leaving themselves in. So first of all, that's 
you know, that that's part of the whole factor. Uh, Hilliard could be pushing the envelope for playing time, but I don't see any way that Blackman gets moved yet. He still has, after this season, two more years left at $34 million. $21 million in 2022 and $13 million in 2023. A lot of the decision-making on making trades, on pulling triggers to acquire players, is based off of the contracts as well. So everybody looks at the Rockies and they say, Herman Marquez, that's a pretty sweet deal. He's a higher commodity, not just because of the way that Marquez performs, but because of the friendliness of his contract. Sure, there's a lot of people that are willing to take that on, absolutely. Yeah, so the net positive that you get for performance versus money owed, in, in Marquez's case, demands a higher return. In Blackman's case, it becomes shedding salary. So I think... There's a loyalty there, first of all. I think that Charlie Blackman is going to be one of the longest-tenured Rockies of all time, and it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up playing his entire career with the Rockies in a similar capacity, at least lengthwise, to Todd Helton. He could be number two on that list. If he does want to play for a contender, if he does want to move, I think that the team would have the ability to make that happen, but they wouldn't be able to do that until 2023. At best, trade deadline of next year, but they would have to be eating probably half of the salary, and it'd be for a minimal return. So if Blackman yes. leaves, it's not till 2023. Hilliard would just have to fit into the equation alongside Blackman at some point until that time. Sure, I think that is spot on, and especially to be able to realize, you know, it is a good problem to have a fourth outfielder that's definitely pushing the envelope right now. I don't think anybody's upset to be able to see a guy like Sam Hilliard doing as well as he is at this point in time and especially realizing that you know there's actually a resource that they can tap into for whatever reason if it ends up being somebody gets hurt if it ends up being that somebody's really struggling there's always going to be at least somebody there in AAA in the case of Sam Hilliard maybe we'll see a call up whatever it may be it seems like anywhere will be hitter friendly for Sam Hilliard the way he's been swinging it over the past several weeks or at least this past week definitely um, the isotopes making their way back home this next week in their own hitter friendly compines um, the comforts of home finally on the horizon after 15 consecutive days on the road, which that's that's no joke as well. I realize there's not a whole lot of travel when you're playing six-game series, but you know, 15 days in a hotel room can certainly catch up to you, but fun to see that Hilliard's making the most of it. Maybe we'll see a little bit even more out of him now that he's back in at least a similar confinement of, I guess, an actual representation of home once again. And it's not like he hasn't been in Albuquerque before. He's able to develop some norms like that being able to see that friendly ballpark. Um, one guy that is a new friendly face for the Rockies as we transition into, dare I say it, a golden age of catching for the Colorado Rockies, at least within the minor league ranks. One recent draftee has been certainly turning heads. Since our last podcast, Drew Romo, 2020 draftee. He has dominated in low A Fresno. He's gone 10 for 23, left the yard twice, drawn a lot of walks. He's seen an OPS increase from 735 to 854 since our last podcast. So this is a guy that, you know, he was COVID struck as a high school kid. Well, I don't know if he had the virus, but his season was cut short. That is very refined. Yes, certainly. He's very refined at the age of 19. His strikeout percentage right now in high A is better than big league average. And this is a guy that is going from seeing half a season of high school pitching last year to now he's seeing guys in high A and he's certainly establishing himself. The refinement seems to have come from a lot of independent development just being that he wasn't invited to the alternate site. He had limited games, 
Now all of a sudden he rolls into a delayed spring training and he's just absolutely dominated lately. So Drew Romo, certainly a guy that's very exciting, very uplifting right now within the minor league ranks. What have you particularly seen out of this? And, you know, we've got a young guy coming through this. Is this the guy that you're kind of delicate with as you're pushing him forward? But I guess I'll just open this up to you. What have your thoughts been and what can we kind of expect from this guy moving forward? Um, It's been a very encouraging stretch for him and he wasn't bad necessarily to start the season i think he and veen uh you because they're the from the same draft class there's the first round pick and the high second round pick with veen being the top of the class and romo right behind him they're getting adjusted to playing pro ball we kind of knew that over the first month with them and if it ended up being a season of kind of middling production that's fine. They're getting their feet wet. As long as you didn't see some atrocious dip and not being able to handle velocity <laughs> or, you know, just something where they looked way over their heads. That was the one thing that you couldn't see. Romo has been fine for the most part. And then when you get to this past week, he has just completely taken off. And I think that one thing that's indicative of it is he is really having an approach over this stretch he's got a five or yeah he's got a five game hitting streak but he's drawn walks in four straight games of those five he's also hitting for extra base power with two doubles and two home runs during that time so i think that there's a little bit more selectiveness that's going into it and he's driving the ball with a little bit more authority and that's the polish of a hitter that we didn't know if we were going to see that quite yet out of him um we talked last week about riley pike and obviously everything that went in with him but uh, one of the core concepts was he was a right-handed high school pitcher selected out of the draft. That's super high risk. High school catching is incredibly high risk as well. Too. <laughs> so with a guy like Drew Romo, who was a very well-regarded receiver and, and defensive catcher um, as that draft pick, if there's questions about the bat, there's a lot of guys who don't succeed coming out of high school as catchers and defensively polished catchers because they just can't hit enough necessarily to justify reaching the big leagues. Well, Romo's not being that guy. Romo is hitting. Romo is being really solid up there at the plate and nothing has changed defensively for him either. So when you look at the history of the Rockies catchers, it's bad. Like it's just it's it's not a very we can't good really thing. avoid that right there you know that's like kind of the... Chris Iannetta is the the golden boy hands down but there's not a whole lot of competition so you're seeing Drew Romo already be a stud defensively and now he's proving that he's got some pop he can hit a little bit but you're also watching Will McIver doing what he's doing and he has the highest OPS plus in all of the Rockies affiliates right now so he is just he's being a monster. Yeah, and we're now looking at multiple strong bat catchers possibly going through the system. So when we talk about this being the golden age, I know that we're playing with words a little bit, but this honestly could be the ground floor of us producing the best catchers that we've had in the history of the franchise. So we can sit back and laugh one day about Elias Diaz and Tony Walters <laughs> and not just pull our hair out over it. Like, these could be guys that, that could, in the next couple of years, make the catching position a strength for the Rockies. So that's yes. something to be super excited about. I think it's really cool, especially to be able to see that MacGyver in a little bit more of the advanced stages of the minors and being able to take a look at what Romo is doing at the lower levels 
it's cool to recognize that essentially every pitcher in the Rockies organization is going to have an opportunity to throw with at least one of the two all the way up. And let's say we get to a point, you know, three, four, five years down the line where we're seeing Romo and MacGyver in the big league ranks, it's going to be a pretty good chance that, you know, if we call this what it is, if the Rockies are indeed in a developmental sense and we start seeing a couple of the minor league pitchers make their way up and I guess that's kind of the nature of what a rebuild can essentially be. But, you know, they're not just developing within themselves. They're developing with a partnership of these particular catchers all the way up through the minor league ranks. I thought that was something that was very cool with a guy like, talking about Tony Walters, he was Mm -hmm. converted a catcher too. And I thought that this is another interesting point to bring up. You know, he didn't grow up in high school and college playing as a catcher. He was only converted to it within the Rockies organization. So being able to look, part of the reason I was really, I was like very excited when Drew Romo was actually selected in the draft is because the catching coordinators and the minor league development coaches, they actually have a purebred catcher at the age of 19 that if they were able to showcase what they were able to do to, to develop Tony Walters out of not even being a catcher before then, now all of a sudden we've got a really young kid that is going to be able to get all that similar instruction and really showcase what he can do after having a history of doing it. So I think that's definitely something exciting to be able to put into perspective and at the same time following along with what McIver is doing throughout at least a little bit more of an advanced level. I think that it's very cool to see the partnerships that are going to develop out of those minor league situations and especially with the affiliates that they're currently at right now, you're going to see pitcher-catcher duos that are going to inevitably make their way to the big leagues assuming that this works out the way that we kind of presume that it's coming together. So very cool from a developmental standpoint. Of course, you know, you can always have the best intentions in the world. And of course, when we're analyzing minor league prospects, you really don't know what to expect. You know, we could be talking a completely different story one or two months down the road. It could be that kind of simple reality of what it is. But the preliminaries are there. I think it's definitely fun to see excitement at a catching position. And especially when you look at what we've seen in the NL West. Um, throughout with what the San Francisco Giants have done. They've got plenty of different prospects that are coming up as catchers, and certainly the poster child of catching for at least my childhood was Buster Posey. And I think that's certainly kind of the thing that a lot of teams tried to embody. It's never really duplicated because, you know, that's like a generational talent when you're able to put Buster Posey behind the plate for as many years as the Giants were able to capitalize on. But I really think that You know, this could be the inner workings of something like that going on. And if we honestly see the level of development that progressed Tony Walters out of being a position player into a specified catcher, and we're able to apply that to a guy like Drew Romo, you know, I'm not trying to throw out, I I say it very defensively, I don't want to throw out the Buster Posey comparison by any means, because I know that's just getting excitement through the roof. But at the same time, you can't help but wonder, you know, this guy's doing particularly well. And if he continues the successes that he's doing, You know, he could have an expedited path to the big leagues at the age of 19, and that's definitely a big deal, and that's somebody that you can really rebuild a team around. I hate to really put those expectations down for a 19-year-old kid, but I'm excited. I'll just put it that way. Yeah, if he he goes ahead and just proceeds to have a Hall of Fame career with being the the middle-of-the-lineup bat for three championship teams, I'm fine with that. (laughs) Like, if he chooses that path, that's totally okay. But, I mean... So look at Carson Kelly, you know, look at look at the stalwart. I understand that the the Diamondbacks are an absolute dumpster fire right now. But when Carson (laughs) Kelly has been there, he's hit well and he's also been incredible with the pitching staff. So when he was brought over in the Paul Goldschmidt trade, he brought a, a lot of stability behind the plate 
for Arizona. When you look at, and I think that this could be a similar situation um, when we're able to talk about this in hindsight, but the way that the Dodgers have brought up Will Smith and Kbert Ruiz in kind of yes. the, the same time frame of two very capable big league ready catchers around the same time, that kind of just throws all the needs out for trying to search the open market for a catcher. And that's the world that the Rockies have been living in for the most part, really ever since the first go round of Chris Iannetta, I want to say. <laughs> like, that was kind of when we had some stability. If not, maybe I'm reaching back to Charles Johnson. Like, I, it, you're no longer having to, to pick from the bottom of the barrel um, to just fill. And it, getting a catcher is hard. Like, this is yes. – if you look at numbers for catchers across the major leagues, their hitting numbers are awful. And that's because, generally speaking, in being able to find a JT Real Muto – is a diamond in the rough and it doesn't really happen for a lot of teams so if the rockies have two guys that continue to progress and become really good big league players and provide some stability at the catching position that is going to be enormous for this franchise both offensively getting some contributions in the lineup from the catching position but also to have the stalwart defensive relationships with the, the entire pitching staff that yes. you know, they're playing at the ground floor with Fresno, with Spokane, and a lot of our next good pitchers are going to be coming from those levels too. So there's going to be a lot of experience, a good repertoire, and just a battery that, that we're going to be proud of. Yes, it's very cool to follow, and I would say, I mean, definitely tagging on to that kind of concept. I think just as important as, I mean, I would probably say those relationships could certainly be more important than absolutely dominant offensive figures you certainly see at the big league level catchers tend to have a little bit more leniencies within their offensive figures you know maybe they're not expected to contribute as much offensively as other counterparts of position players throughout the lineup you'll typically see in the national league a lot of catchers will often bat eighth in the order right ahead of the pitcher um not that that's necessarily out of the norm i mean of course that's kind of the standard but when you take a look at seeing these relationships that are able to be cultivated, but at the same time seeing that there's a very mature get like very mature hitting catcher, he's currently got a strikeout percentage of 17.9, which is well beneath big league average. And you know, again, we're talking about the maturity level of a, not only a 19-year-old to be able to come in and do this, but a 19-year-old that had his senior year of high school cut short because of COVID. I think that I don't really. I am absolutely shocked to see how little he is actually striking out right now. And being able to pick that up and realize, you know, maybe this is kind of an embodiment of his collective personality. I hate to try to look at a box score and assess who he is as a person necessarily. But to be able to have such a refined eye like that, I think that you could perhaps draw some kind of parallels to... He could certainly have a refined approach to developing these relationships with pitchers and... It's going to be fun to be able to follow. Certainly, as we continue to see him progress through the ranks, as we follow him, we're going to be able to follow all of the respective pitchers that are going through. And who knows, man, maybe one day you're going to be walking into Coors Field. You'll be talking about that time back in the day when Justin Wick and Kenneth Weber were walking you through all these pitcher-catcher relationships. It's going to be a little bit more refined than, like, Daniel Bard and Elias Diaz, necessarily. <laughs> so... I think it's going to be fun. It's going to be definitely interesting to follow along with. But this is this is a very exciting time, and especially if you're a fan of really good catchers. We've got a pretty good deck stacked for us, and it's going to be exciting to be able to follow through with. Maybe um, he's a switch hitter. Like, that's true. There you go. That. A switch hitting catcher who can hit. They, they don't just, grow on trees. 
So there's a lot <laughs> no, of cool I was, things. I got to admit, I was a little bit timid when the Rockies went out and got two high schoolers with their first two picks in the draft. Like last year, of all years, I was thinking, mm-hmm. just get a guy out of college. Just get a guy that's more refined. And then they went out and got V, and I'm going, all right, I don't know if you can pass on him as highly touted as he sure. was. And Veen then they went out and got Yes, and especially seeing the way he dropped, I'm going, yeah, you have to. This is I was just excited as anybody else when they got him. Mm-hmm. And then they went out and got Romo, and I'm going, I don't know, you know, you're looking at a catcher. He's supposed to be the field general of what's going on. And then, you know, not that I had any predispositions against it. I certainly believed and drawn that parallel of Tony Walters and his development from being a position player. All of a sudden, I started kind of getting on the bandwagon a little bit, but you know, you're seeing this probably come true a lot more than I even expected, and I think that's part of the excitement that's going on. Absolutely. Um, we're going to take a short break. Coming up in a moment, we're going to play a little game called Pick Your Pitcher. I don't really know if it's a game or not, really, but my guy, Joe Harvey, recently was DFA'd, so I need to pick another guy if he doesn't clear waivers. Um, plenty of quality pitchers to discuss here in a moment. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Purple Row Pebble Report Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the program. And if you happen to specialize in minor league pitchers, this is the spot for you. Um, I need a new guy because Joe Harvey was my guy, and I don't know if he's going to be around anymore. He was recently DFA'd in the wake of Chris Owings returning from the injured list. Um, I contemplated if we wanted the Joe Harvey headline to be at the top, like the, the figurehead of what we had for the show, but I realized that, you know, I didn't want it to get like, I didn't want it to be a downer podcast. You know, I'm still trying to figure out why we even brought up Joe Harvey in the first place, if I'm being honest, because, I mean, he had a zero ERA for such a long time. I was all excited. I was fired up. The minor league podcast talking about a good minor leaguer. Like, at least (laughs) justified in that respect. Sure. I was just, I'm dumbfounded at least. I mean, just, you know, you invest what you do covering the minor leagues. You see all these guys that are doing successful, and they finally get the big league call up. And then he may not even be in the organization anymore. So trying to figure out, you know, just picking up the pieces from that, certainly I mean, on behalf of everybody here. We wish Joe Harvey well. I personally hope that he doesn't clear waivers because I want to keep watching him as a Rockies minor league coverage guy. But also I want the best for him. I think everybody wants the best for him. However that may play out, we're going to break down some other quality performances from Rockies minor league arms. We're going to analyze their collective bodies of work, and I guess I get to pick, I suppose, you know, my my new guy. Whoever my new guy is in the wake of Joe Harvey being DFA'd. So we've got plenty of candidates. We actually had a big list, and i got to tip my cap to Kenneth for sending me just a colossal Slack message of all kinds of really good pitchers that are going on right now. I'm just going to roll through the names for those of you that want to just look these up. Ryan Feltner, Dugan Darnell, Chris McMahon, Helcris Oliveris. Nick Bush, Mitchell Kilkenny, Finn Delbonta-Smith, and that's just to name a few. Of course, you know, we've got plenty of guys, and anytime you have this abundant of pitching reserves in the minor leagues, you're going to have plenty of guys that are rolling through. Um, you know, I'm just going to hand it over to the expert really fast. Mr. Kenneth Weber, who should my new guy be? If you were in charge, who, who do you think my guy should be now? I mean, if you want to really hedge your bet, Feltner has done nothing to disprove or dissuade you from, from picking him. I think That's it's true. Pretty, pretty safe to say that he's been the top minor league pitcher in the Rockies system so far this season. 
Um, he's just been shot up to double A, and he's picked up right where he left off in Spokane. Um, he, in his first double A start, threw five and two thirds. He only gave up four hits. It was shutout innings and two walks, eight Ks. So for the season, Feltner has just been an absolute dude, and you can't stop him. In his accumulation of stats for 2021, he's got eight games started, a 1.88 ERA, and a 1.16 WHIP, with 53 Ks in 43 innings. Like, he's been incredible. So if there's somebody that we need to really start focusing on, um, we're going to talk about Mitchell Kilkenny here in a second. But Feltner has done nothing to stop you know, his, his momentum building as the top minor league pitcher so far performance-wise in the Rockies organization this year. Yes, that's definitely a strong candidate, especially when you look at what the big league operation is doing right now. I realize we're hoping that John Gray is going to return from the injured list sooner than later. I realize it's probably not going to be a long-term deal where Chi-Chi Gonzalez is our number four and presumable Yoli Chassin is our number five, but <laughs> I think that it is kind of eye-opening to be able to follow along. You know, let's say that you mentioned earlier in the program, Herman Marquez has a very strong contract that there could be a lot of teams that really are going to try to make a push for that at the trade deadline. And let's just say in the event that something like that does happen, or even next year, let's say John Gray doesn't re-sign as he enters free agency, I think that you could kind of see a guy like Ryan Feltner see an expedited path to the big leagues. I think there's kind of a cautious total, like a cautious line that you kind of have to dance around being, you don't want to call him up too quickly. I think that we very much saw that with a guy like Jose Mejica last year, and now we're seeing what he's doing, kind of struggling in AAA, still getting routine starts, still having an opportunity to break out of it. But all the while, you see what Feltner's doing. I can't imagine that he's going to have an extremely expedited path to the big leagues because we have that immediate realization of what happened to Mejica, and we don't really want something like that to happen again. But, you know, he's rolling up through the ranks, finally in A now, certainly turning some heads and establishing himself at this rank. And at the same time, you mentioned Mitchell Kilkenny doing what he's doing up there at Spokane. Um, his first high A start, he went six frames, didn't allow a run, allowed one hit, which... You know, anytime you're allowing one hit on your debut at a certain level of the minors, that's, that's a pretty big deal right there. <laughs> Didn't walk anybody, which is huge, especially seeing a guy progressing right through from Fresno, from low A. Keeping the walks off the board, you're making sure that you're showing that you're a little bit more of a polished pitcher. And you punched out 10 dudes, so you still have nasty stuff and you're spotting up, which is the best of both worlds. So I think that could certainly be the guy to follow along with. Um, we're looking at kind of recent starts, at least in the immediate block of days that we're currently in. Feltner and Kilkenny are going to be towing them out. And I think that as far as starters, being able to take a look at that, sure, we have Chris McMahon, we have Sam Weatherly. There's a lot of guys that are some people that we can get excited about. We've got the return of hopefully Ryan Rowlison before long. I realize you don't want to necessarily rush a return from appendicitis by any means, but I guess I do have to come clean with this. You know, I would say Rollison's my guy, too. But, you know, all of a sudden when you see that Harvey and Rollison are taking off the board in a hurry, I start looking around going, i got to pick a new favorite guy. What are we going to do right here? Yeah, and I think Rollison has already earned our trust as being uh, – he's, he's going to be a Rocky sooner rather than later. He had the human condition sure. of the appendicitis creep up. So now we're just watching Rollison get that much closer to being a Rockies contributor. And honestly, with the way that the Rockies starting rotation is shaping up, they're paving a path for him to be there when he's healthy and able to return. Um, but when you look at Kilkenny and Feltner, they, I think, are the poster boys for that next wave behind Rawlson. We talked last time about 
AAA and AA being a little thin. Well, these are the guys that are going to be bridging that gap between the A-ball levels and the higher levels. And they seem to be fast-tracking themselves on, on filling those talent voids in the upper levels of the minors. Maybe a little bit quicker um, than, than we would have expected. You mentioned earlier, we can't rush their development. Uh, it doesn't matter how much of a need there is for the Rockies to have you know, major league contributors. If they're not ready, you can't throw them into the fire like that because that's going to hinder what they, what their ceilings could be. But you can push them and challenge them in the minors a little bit faster, and I think we're already starting to see that with Feltner, and they're playing with that with uh, Kilkenny in Spokane right now. He actually has two starts. I think we're a little behind on our numbers with Kilkenny. So, so far in two starts, he's got 12 innings, two earned runs, 18 punchies, and no walks. So we had a second start that we didn't necessarily have the numbers for quite yet, but it's still pretty darn good too. So there's no, there's no red <laughs> flags that he gave us out of nowhere. Could we see both of them be the headliners of the double-A rotation, maybe even with Chris McMahon towards the end of the season? What are your thoughts there? Do you think that that's something that could realistically be where the yard goats finish is with three really potential major league pieces in the next two years pitching in Hartford by the end of the season. Boy, I mean, you, you know, you can't just make me excited about that if it doesn't work out like that. You know, we got to be we got to be cautious with that yeah. kind of excitement. <laughs> well, when we talk about Russian guys, <laughs> no, I'm just playing. I guess you know you. this this is the challenge of them facing higher levels of minor league competition. You cannot put Ryan Feltner in the major leagues after four starts in Hartford this year. Yeah, like if the Rockies right. do that, that's the disservice. But <laughs> if Chris McMahon, who has been thrown into the fire a little bit in his first professional baseball experience pitching in high A, continues to succeed at high A, if Kilkenny picks up where he left off in Fresno and does that for an extended period in Spokane, after the All-Star break, do we see these guys really round out the Hartford rotation? I think it's realistic, but what are your thoughts? I think that there's definitely a clear-cut chance to see it happen, particularly just taking a look. I always tend to kind of look at just walks as seeing how refined a pitcher is, um, especially in the lower levels because, you know, you're trying to showcase just nasty stuff. And I personally think that, you know, what certainly gets people on the radar from a lower level, call it an amateur status or even throughout the lower levels of the minors, you know, if you just have nasty stuff and you strike out a lot of guys, you know, you might be able to forgive the walks a little bit in low A just because you're trying to refine a guy, and you know, you're not supposed to be spot on at that point in time. There's a reason that you haven't moved up through the minors yet. But being able to look at, you know, you say what Kilkenny's doing, just straight out of Fresno, he's got 12 innings under his belt in Spokane, and he hasn't walked anybody. So he's certainly showing that he's got a strong, refined sense of being able to showcase what, or excuse me, showcase what he's able to do. And, you know, the strikeouts are coming along with it. Like, he's still following along with the same level of punchouts that he'd showcased in Fresno. And, you know, it makes me kind of interested as far as... You talked about Riley Pint a little bit earlier on. When he was on, back when he was throwing in, I believe it was Asheville, I remember reading reports about, you know, this guy looked like he was big league ready and he was just getting big league pitches to be able to execute and get guys out when he was, when he was on anyways. So I'm not necessarily trying to compare any of these guys to Riley Pint's 200-mile-an-hour fastball and subsequent breaking pitches, but just seeing that they're able to strike out the amount of guys that they have and that they still seem to be spotting up the zone a lot more. I definitely think that could expedite their path through the big leagues. 
and it certainly suggests that you know they have refined themselves to be able to handle double a competition at this point in time so i certainly i mean again i want to be cautious as far as the body of work you want to be able to establish yourself i think we can we could expect a little bit more starts in high a for mitchell kilkenny just to be able to expand on what he's been able to do I understand, you know, yes, there's always room to call guys up, and there's nothing inhibiting it by any means. But I think there is a strong chance, and, you know, in the event that we do see the close of the season in Fresno, or excuse me, up there in Hartford, mm-hmm. featuring Feltner, McMahon, Mitchell Kilkenny, I, I need a little bit more frequent flyer miles if that happens totally. to come together. But totally. that's going to be this a lot is, of fun. This is looking into the future and not saying <laughs> immediately, you know, come beginning of July, you pull the trigger. But. In those 12 innings, too, in those two starts, only five hits for Kilkenny. So he's limiting damage by not walking and not get, and missing barrels while also getting plenty of punch-outs. Um, you know, the, to the point of stuff kind of being a necessity, there was a good uh, quote that I remember from a scout who basically said that's why they have radar guns and not change-of-speed guns to, to, <laughs> to be able to evaluate prep players. And these guys at least have the stuff, and they are showing – that they're having the capability of getting hitters out at their respective level levels, so maybe they are ready for the jump. They already took that with Feltner. Um, Kilkenny is certainly showing in the early samples that he may be ready for that as well. But why don't we talk about McMahon, since he was kind of the third amigo um, in that conversation. When we're looking at Chris McMahon, he was another pitcher that we had over uh, on our pitch, or our pick, our, excuse me, on the Pick Your Pitcher segment, uh, he had two games started since we last recorded. 11 innings pitched, four earned runs, 11 Ks, two walks. Um, his two prior games, before those two starts, he had accumulated six innings pitched, given up eight earned runs, and four walks. So kind of a you know a difference in, in two starts to two starts on the comparison. Um, he got some bumps, some bruises. He came back, he responded well with 11 really strong innings. So... Why don't you take it away on McMahon and kind of what you saw over uh, Sure, the and I think that certainly says a lot to be able to see how somebody's able to respond after, you know, if you have one bad start, it's easy to kind of look at it going, yeah, this wasn't working, let's go ahead and work it out. I'll speak on my own pitching career. When you have two bad starts in a row, you start doing some soul searching, and that's where <laughs> you start. I mean, I understand, you know, yes, this is, you got to have a short memory in this game a lot of time, and you got to roll with the punches, but... Seeing the way that he has responded in those past two starts, like you mentioned, 11 innings, four earned runs, 11 strikeouts. So he's averaging a punch-out and inning in at least the recent wake of what he's been able to execute. And again, you know, we're talking about a guy right out of college. He was drafted in 2020, had his season cut short last year, didn't have a whole lot of in-game reps. I mean, you're just working on live at-bats in a cage from, you know, as soon as your college season was cut short to when you reported to spring training at early April in the minor league camp. So I think that, you know, we kind of have to take a lot of this with a grain of salt, recognizing that maybe it does take a little bit of time for these guys to get back in rhythm. I understand the way the college configuration works. You're working with a very limited fall schedule within the NCAA. Of course, in the wintertime, there's not a whole lot of action going on. Season starts in mid-February, and you're able to push through. But all of a sudden, McMahon is seeing, instead of a mid-February start like he's used to, he's going to spring training in April of this year after having not pitched in a game until, I guess, when the COVID shutdown initially really happened. So I think there has to be a little bit of leniency with guys like that. Funny, we hinted on Drew Romo. I was personally thinking we need a lot of leniency for that guy, and then he absolutely tears it up. 
but I think that it's a very volatile position to really evaluate the statistics right now just because there has been so many different interruptions to these guys particular routines so I think that you have to have a little bit of leniency with a guy like McMahon it's very fun to see I guess it's more of an important thing to look at how has he progressed through the year not so much how he starts but how is he going to finish at the end of the year when he's able to really truly adapt to what amounts to his first minor league season so Mm -hmm. it's not to say that you throw out the collective body of work but I think that you really have to weigh more of the recent statistics for a guy like him as opposed to the early statistics and it's definitely fun to be able to see that you know, the strikeouts have still been there no matter what. Sure, the command maybe wasn't necessarily what it was in some of his weaker starts, but he continues to progress forward. His strikeout totals still are there, so it suggests that he still has some raw stuff, and as he continues to acclimate to what this new landscape of the minors is for him, it certainly looks like he's doing quite all right. Yeah, I would say that the biggest stretch out of those three between Kilkenny, Feltner, and McMahon kind of really cementing themselves in A. McMahon is, is the... Uh, the one that's the most questionable to, to make that jump. But, you know, 12 walks in 45 innings so far in Spokane. In Spokane, he's nearly a year and a half younger than the average age. That's and right. as you alluded to, didn't have a 2020. So this is his first real taste of pro ball. So there's a lot of cards stacked against him there. You know, still nearly a K per, or a K per inning, though. Um, the hits... Are, are what's really the problem. He's at about 10.5 hits per nine right now um, in Spokane. So he, there's some, some wrinkles he definitely has to iron out. However, <laughs> yep, there goes Max. There um, it is. Big McMahon <laughs> fan. Max yeah, the dog. I love he, it. <laughs> he doesn't believe that McMahon needs any more time in Spokane. Um, you know, he, he needs to make some adjustments. There's There's no denying that. But the stuff is there with it. He's not having egregious walk rates or command issues. Probably missing some spots and getting hit and, you know, finding out the hard way that when you leave hangers out to dry, that's what happens to him. So he may turn that corner. He may not. But for a year and a half, under the league average age, still having, you know, pretty good success with his stuff playing at that level, it's at least encouraging signs. And hopefully he takes a step forward like we're seeing Romo might be doing. But if he kind of stays where he's at and really gets his his first big taste of professional baseball this year with middling results, that's totally fine, too. Sure. And it's definitely fun to follow, you know, as he's been able to pick up a little bit more refinement throughout this rank. I feel like there's going to be a lot more leniency for a guy like him. You may be a little bit more patient with him. He might not necessarily see an expedited path up through the ranks necessarily if his command continues to kind of waver like it has occasionally. But I definitely think there's some candidacy to be had there. And certainly, you know, when you've got a guy that's highly touted as high of a draft selection like he was, that's somebody to follow along with. Probably a little bit extra leniency being in the wake of what he's been able to deal with over the past 12 months. But definitely a guy that, you know, somebody that if he does happen to make that appearance in A at some point this year, he's certainly on pace to join a pretty solid staff that we can have a lot of excitement following along with. And it seems like his stuff is there. I mean, certainly he's striking out as many guys as he is. That seems like it's right on par with a lot of the other starters that we could potentially see here soon in A. And being able to have a selection of guys, assuming they're able to establish themselves in A, just like they have coming up through the ranks. You know, all of a sudden you got them throwing to a guy like Willie McIver. we got a guy like Drew Romo coming up through. I can't imagine we're going to see the 19-year-old in A until quite a while, but... 
we start to realize that these are the guys that are really developing hand in hand with what's going on. You're developing these relationships and you're going to start to see what I certainly hope is a pretty formidable battery throughout the entire minor league ranks. So nonetheless, I can't, I mean, I don't know if I really picked my new guy, but we got a lot of candidates that are on the table right now. And that's definitely some good headway for all of our listeners. Go ahead and pick for yourself, whoever your favorite one is. Hopefully that maps it out for us. I do. before we finish this segment, I actually do want to give a shout out. Um, there's a reliever in high A Spokane right now by the name of Finn Delbonta Smith. Got a 2.14 ERA. He struck out 30 guys in 21 innings. Um, very much working as a reliever. Just very cool stuff what he's been able to work through. You know, you're striking out 30 in 21 innings. There's some cool stuff going on there. Um, also want to come clean on this. Former teammate of mine in summer ball. <laughs> So I got to be transparent there. Him and I played a summer up in Minnesota for the St. Cloud Rocks. Big tip of the cap. Learned a lot from that guy. Certainly pulling for him. And it seems like I learned from the right guy if he's striking out 30 in 21 innings. I um, think uh, he and Isaac Collins are probably trading stories about him in the clubhouse. <laughs> in I was going to say, I got to make sure. I gotta If they tune into this podcast, I figure I got to say really good stuff. I mean, I have nothing bad to say about him, no. of course. You got personal relationship with that core that's developing. I was just thinking, Isaac Collins, <laughs> man, he's going to be around on, uh, you know, uh, Kill Kenny and McMahon right now. We're That's seeing right. that core develop, and Collins <laughs> has been a dude on the position player side who's doing it. Um, you gave your shout to Finn. I want to talk Dugan Darnell as well, too, real quick. He yes. just got promoted to high A, but he's got a 61.5% K rate since he's been called up. He still doesn't have Jeez. a walk since he was called up on, on 530. This was a minor league free agent signing an undrafted signing, which I think still qualifies as minor league free agent. That's um, blue collar, man. My kind of guy. He's I been a stud. It. Like, honestly, if you're not familiar with Dugan Darnell, which I was not at the beginning of the season, just follow along because we're seeing somebody who is a dude right now. And I hope it continues. I hope it progresses. And I hope that we're talking, you know, a couple years or maybe even next year, let's say, if things go really crazy rushed, as a possible Rockies reliever in the future. Just he's, he's performed so well since he got – into the system so i'm excited sure about that. and it really is amazing to see how some of the expedited paths can come together especially for relievers if you really establish yourself and you prove that you can handle it um certainly proven that he can handle spokane at this point in time like you mentioned you know when you're striking out that many guys and not walking anybody as you move up through the ranks it can be a little bit intimidating as you're facing a little bit higher competition but Dugan darnell man coming out of the woodwork just mm-hmm. going from undrafted to absolutely dominating in high a it's crazy to, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that you can evaluate wherever that ceiling is at this point in time, but it seems like the sky's the limit for a guy like him, and that's another strong candidate. By all means, we've got plenty of guys mapped out right there. So big tip of the cap, Kenneth did a lot of this research. I actually want to give you a shout-out for being able to put all this stuff together. A lot of key names right there. A lot of exciting box scores to follow along with. So as you follow along through the minor league season all year long, definitely a couple names to be able to map out and take a look at. Um, We're going to map out the week ahead and the week behind us as our traditional rundown configuration. First of all, we're going to take a little break, do another little commercial break coming at us. We'll walk through all affiliates in the next week, close it out with our breakout player to watch, and we'll close it out from there. Once again, thank you for tuning in. This is the Purple Row Pebble Report Podcast.
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back as we cap off episode three of the year of the Purple Repope. The Purple Repope. Wow, goodness. Wow, the Purple Depot. Goodness. <laughs> Somebody cut this man off over here. <laughs> <laughs> the Pebble Report Podcast, brought to you by Purple Row. There we go. I think I combined Pebble and Purple right there. I was, was trying impressive. to spit out a Purple Pebble for everybody, and that was hard <laughs> the first episode. So. There you go. We're, we're still refining, needless to say. <laughs> episode three i like to think we're at least getting a pretty good headway at this point <laughs> um anyways this section as normal we'll go through our weekly rundown looking back and looking ahead at all the affiliates over the past week starting up all the way at the top triple a albuquerque they went one and six in reno um sam hilliard was the serious bright spot in an otherwise just kind of a dismal road trip a couple close scoring affairs so it wasn't completely lopsided Again, we're talking about a lot of players in Reno that are hopefully trying to break into a struggling Diamondbacks team, so maybe they had some extra fire. Um, next week, Albuquerque's finally heading back home, concluding their two-game or their two-week road trip. Excuse road me. Trip, excuse back home against the Tacoma Rainiers. Um, currently have. I'm trying to think. Tacoma. They were just in Las Vegas, so maybe they'll have a little bit of hangover stuff going on. Always cool details. Never know what could come together on that. Um, we're recording that right now. It is Wednesday, June 23rd, so Albuquerque should be making their way home right about now. So we'll see how that continues to work out. Uh, meanwhile, down there in AA Hartford, um, last week they went 1-5 and five on the road against the Reading Fightin' Phils. Um, we just did not win games this past week at the upper levels, man. Went 1-6 and six and then 1-5 and five thus far against Reading Fightin' Phils. Excuse me, we went 1-5 and five in Reno. I have that as wrong right now. It's still bad. Six game series. It's still bad. It's still real bad. Just don't don't <laughs> worry. Don't focus too much on the high uh, high level records. They'll just make you depressed. <laughs> It'll balance it out. It's all good. Yeah. Um. Anyways, Double A Hartford this week. They're still on the road. Their two week road trip finished up in. I guess they're going to be taking on the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. Very cool hat logo up there. That's pretty cool. Um. Yard goats and Fisher Cats. It sounds like a petting zoo. I don't know, can you, pet, can you pet a Fisher cat? Is that a thing? <laughs> I would be reluctant on name alone, but that's, I mean, that's on you. <laughs> I did mix in a Google search about Fisher cats, and this is a quote. Fishers may not pose a threat to humans, but they do pose some threat to pets and chickens, end quote. Hmm. Take that as you will. I really don't know where we're going to go with this. but Where did that quote come from? Um, I'm not going to lie, I think it was Wikipedia. I okay. just kind of typed it in because I and was And also, curious. why can't a chicken be a pet? My neighbors have chickens. That's true. Hey, you never know. I mean, I guess the real question is, does it pose a threat to yard goats? And is there a difference between a traditional goat and a yard goat? Uh, I don't know. That is a good question. I don't know. This is all really gearing towards <laughs> like a pay-per-view match, I feel like, between yard there you goats go. and fisher cats. <laughs> Welcome to the Pebble Report Podcast, brought to you by SB Nation and Animal Planet. And <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay, we'll keep going through down the list. We actually had a winning record Yay! in Spokane. Here we go. They went 4-2 and two on the road against the Tri-City Dust Devils in southern Washington. Short little drive from Spokane to the Tri-Cities of Washington. This week, they're also capping off a two-week road trip. Um, Spokane's headed over to Hillsboro, Oregon for six games. They're going to be taking on the Hillsboro Hops just outside of Portland. Another great hat logo, the Hillsboro Hop. Got like a little beer hop, mm-hmm. little green-looking dude. Got some fierce glasses. I've never, I never some... thought I would see angry barley, but they made it happen. <laughs> 
It's impressive. I remember back in the day before I even knew what affiliate the hops were with, I kind of wanted one of those hats. And then I was like, I think I was like 12. And then my mom had to tell me it was a beer reference. And she kind of tamed that in a hurry. <laughs> no, we do have a hops in our men's league, though. They, they run oh, there the you go. logo. They're proud. <laughs> they do what they're talking about. For, for colors, too. I feel like that's a pretty good men's league team. That's spot on. That's, that's a solid. good team name. They did just beat us. <laughs> So, oh they're no! That, no, they're 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 awful. <laughs> they beat us, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna crap on them a little bit. No, they're... we can't confirm if there's been any hops in the parking lot, but you now <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, they're awesome, and that's that that is a solid logo. That's a lot of fun. I actually think I remember seeing their team over at Double Angel Ballpark, my own stomping grounds. Oh yeah. I think I remember seeing them play it a couple times on the TA lower field with a rocket ship go. for AstroTurf. That ball gets on the <laughs> ground, man. It just flies. Just turning routine singles to the outfield into triples. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Real fast. <laughs> we'll go down the list. Low A Fresno. They went 2 and 4 at home versus the Stockton Ports. This week, they're taking on the Visalia Rawhide. Um, I think Crash Davis from Bull Durham was reportedly going to manage the Visalia Rawhide when he was done playing. Or at least that's what the movie suggested. Like, that's kind of a... You're going from North Carolina to California? I mean, I guess that's some that's some minor league operation. I guess that's kind of the way it works most of the time. I mean, he was a career minor leaguer, and Susan Sarandon sure seemed to have the inside information, so I'll take that That is word. true. It's not a you Bob Nightingale know. report. This is Susan Sarandon <laughs> we're talking about. We're talking about big-timer. You know, that's the, about as high of a minor league insider as you can get. Absolutely. She's the Jeff Passan of the North Carolina minor league scene. <laughs> you know, I can't help but wonder, did those two characters, did would she have moved? Would Annie have moved all the way out to California if Crash took that job? You know, I... I, I think she was conflicted the whole time between Nuke and Crash, and she just accepted That's true. That, that that was her life as ambassador to, to the minor league <laughs> players moving forward. So I think yeah. uh, life goes I mean, on. She was, I don't mean to dog it, though. She was getting older, though. Like, was Crash her final option? Like, I mean... I don't. I don't mean to like get it. This this might be turning into an X-rated conversation. We might need to take <laughs> I, I think Crash was the right one. guy at the wrong time. <laughs> I think, I think you might be right. That was my take. I was away. hoping. I wish we had a follow-up to Bull Durham if Crash actually went and actually managed in the minors. I think that would be spot on. I, I'm better that we don't because I think there's like a Sandlot too, and I just <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm a snob, but I think good media just. It, is allowed to exist by itself without that's true out. that's a good point yeah all of a sudden you run into major league three and even bob Euchre says that one was awful yeah you bring scott Bakula in and you know that the franchise is going to crash Star Trek <laughs> that. oh goodness man this is beautiful <laughs> you know i feel like our little rundown segment has become less about the affiliates and more about the different cities that they're going to i mean that's what minor league did they 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 go out and pull what should our team be named oh you went with yard goats let's do it <laughs> if I was you're gonna, gonna have to had... talk about the yard goats and the trash pandas i'm gonna have at least a little something <laughs> to say and it's probably gonna be immature because that's really the theme that you're giving me to work <laughs> like how are we not gonna say this about the fisher cats and the yard goats man mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm just waiting for the platypuses oh, the platypie the portland platypie I mean, that's they might be getting a big league team. Hey, you never know. True. Maybe Portland, Maine. <laughs> that's, yeah, there you go. we got to stay with the coastal action right there up in the northeast. <laughs> oh, man. All right. From. <laughs> We're going to cut all this childish mascot nonsense right here, even though I feel like I could keep it going for another right. hour. Man, that's the that's next my episode. Favorite. 
<laughs> we're going to have special editions just talking about minor league towns. <laughs> uh, we're going to cap this off. We'll do a couple more minutes talking about our breakout player to watch. One player in the next week that could turn heads, could do something cool. Maybe they've been really hot. Maybe they've been cold, and we're going to expect something hot out of them. Also got to be transparent, my guy on the last episode was Joe Harvey, who was now called up and was then DFA'd. So <laughs> I don't know if that has anything to do with me, because I, maybe I kind of messed up his mojo or something like that. I'm going to make so... an executive decision and say you weren't wrong, because your <laughs> job was to point out somebody who is doing good and will continue That's to true. do good, and that was Joe Harvey. If the organization decides to just kind of in a, you know, a very weird way, let him go. That's not on you. I don't think you had much input in that decision. I'm just kind of concerned. Like, if I pick them, does that mean like subliminally there's going to be some really bad fate going on? Because all the while, I mean, I know I picked Reagan Todd a couple weeks ago. He's still throwing pretty well. So I mean, it's not like it's a big deal. But yeah, if I we make it a habit, worst... if we string a couple together where we uh, where we jinx them, <laughs> all right, then we can reconsider our options. But I think uh, I think you did your part fine. It's the Rockies who didn't do so well. I guess I got worried when I picked Reagan Todd, and I think his like worst outing of the year was like the day after I picked him. But he has turned it around since, so hopefully this, hopefully we can actually keep this segment rolling. But stay tuned because here's the next rendition that we've got on the line right here. You're not alone. I picked Braley Musabio, and uh, we missed last week. He had a great start as soon as I picked Braley, or as soon as I picked Eusebio, and then his next start, he just got absolutely torched. So, <laughs> I'm, I guess I'm you guilty. picked him right in time, though. I mean, if you picked him right before the really good outing, I guess that counts for something right there. Yeah, but then there was the really bad outing, and we just didn't record in between. So I think that's, <laughs> that's where I went awry. We knew what we were doing. We were just avoiding the Eusebio talk right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. Um, there was one bad, finally, though. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll open this up to you. Who do you got for this week? So I'm picking, uh, excuse me, I'm picking Nico Decalotti. Uh, he's in Spokane. He has been okay for Spokane so far this year. Um, he's definitely well below his career norms. Um, so far this season in Spokane, he is, sorry, let me pull it back up. Um, he's hitting 218 with a 319 OBP, 395 slugging. Um, he's a career 281, 363, 450 guy, though. So he's performing a little bit below his career norms. His playing time has been a little sparse here and there, but he's getting a little bit more consistency. And, I, you know, he's had a couple of good stretches where he's been coming around. I think it's more of a hunch, but I think he's finally ready to kind of take a jump and get back to those career numbers. So I'm going Nico Decalotti. I think he's going to be a stud. This next week. I think that's a good candidate, and especially, you know, we've got at least a little bit of a minor league body of work to be able to look back on for that guy. Mm-hmm. We could easily expect possibly a little bit of just traditional regression to the mean when we're looking at his batting slash, so I think that could certainly be a kind of guy that, you know, assuming he's able to pick up kind of where he left off, I get, you know, when you're watching the minors, it can sometimes be a little volatile, but it seems like we have at least a little bit of a body of work that this guy could be turning a corner, and that's definitely a good guy. I was, I, I like that pick personally. I really a couple do. Couple multi-hit games lately too, so hopefully, you know, hopefully he does a Sam Hilliard and he's he's ready to take <laughs> off, and I'm I'm getting on the ground floor of that. There you go. And anybody, if they want to go ahead and place their bets and give us a piece of the pie whenever these guys absolutely go off, that definitely works. Yeah, estimation <laughs> betting. There you go. <laughs> We're opening up the doors, man. 
I'm gonna go. I'm gonna kind of. I, I don't know if this is a cop out of a selection. I'm gonna go to AAA. I'm gonna pick Logan Cozart, reliever, up there in Albuquerque. The Rockies need some bullpen depth with some injuries, or at least that's what I was thinking when Joe Harvey was initially called up and then DFA'd. I am really pulling for Yancy Almonte to work things out in the big, seriously. But maybe Cozart gets a nod to help out the big league staff. Maybe there's a chance that we see Almonte get sent down for just to be able to work out the kinks a little bit. Um, we just had Jordan Sheffield put on the 60-day injured list. Michael Givens is currently down right now. I suppose there's not as much of an inherent need right now of, I mean, if Joe Harvey is all of a sudden gone already, like, I guess maybe I'm being deceived a little bit. We don't need that much minor league or that much big league bullpen depth. But I like what Cozart's doing right now. He's got a 4.5 ERA on the year, which isn't really turning heads, but in 12 of his 18 appearances on the year, they have been scoreless. And of the other ones that he's allowed to run, he's allowed one run in all of them. I think there's only been one game this year that he's allowed multiple runs in. So seeing how he's working through it, he's walked 11 guys in 18 innings, which I think is somewhat of a red flag. But at the same time, we're talking about a guy that's refined in AAA. He's finally back in a routine sense of you know, we're not depending on alternate site development or canceled minor league seasons. We actually have a routine season upon us. And maybe, I don't know if this is going to be in the immediacy of what's going on, but I certainly think he's the next in line after Joe Harvey. So I'm going to roll with it, man. He's striking out about 17 over 18 innings this year. I, about, yeah, I'm speaking like it's an average. He has struck out a concrete 17 <laughs> over 18 innings this year. It's an arbitrary so I don't 17. Know. It's between him and Weinkoop, though, honestly. And, I mean, this yes. is the, the bet that the Rockies made, so we have to evaluate it. And you're going to need another bullpen arm eventually because Lawrence just got called up to replace Givens. So That's what's right. After, there you go. Yeah, what's after him? I mean, we're kind of assuming that Harvey's going to be gone, and maybe he won't be. In that case, I think the Rockies get lucky. So Harvey yes. still stays next in line. But, you know, we're looking into the future, and maybe Givens is a trade candidate. And Cozart or Weinkoop could be – the next guys we see in the bullpen. So it's at least worth bringing them up here because for relievers, you're asking for an inning. And this, yes, is, looking, absolutely. this is looking like a guy who might be able to give us an inning of major league production on a fairly consistent basis. You bring up a great point, especially talking about if Givens is indeed kind of going to be a trade deadline rental for a particular team, kind of like, I guess, what the Rockies tried to do with him last year. It might be short-lived, but at the same time, you know, Cozart probably in line to get some pretty prime opportunities in some higher leverage late-inning situations throughout this next series with the Tacoma Rainiers. How about that? We got the Isotopes and the Rainiers, man. You know, if we did a fight to the death between the Isotopes and the Rainiers, that might be one of the more volatile ones, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't think the human body is really supposed to sustain that matchup. <laughs> you got a Colossal Mountain versus some chemistry stuff that was too tough for me in school yeah there you go we just got <laughs> geology and chemistry the battle there you of the go ages. Einstein. We, you learn about more than minor league coverage here on the pebble report podcast yeah you look about you learn about weird minor league logos and brands <laughs> be excited for that oh, more than man. anything i love it that's just prime prime material well there you go we got the full recap for you once again, thank you guys for tuning in to the Pebble Report Podcast. Be sure to check us out on Twitter. Kenneth is at KDub1988. Myself, I am at JustWick. Special thanks to all of our friends over at SB Nation, our media personnel friends throughout Rockies Affiliates. And a huge thank you to all of you guys checking out another Minor League Recap. On behalf of my co-host, Kenneth Weber, I am Justin Wick. 
Thanks again for tuning in. Let's play ball.